Hello, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Community Action, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Community Action Association, or NISCA for short. My name is Heidi Barkham, Program and Communications Director for NISCA. NISCA is the State Association for New York's Community Action Agencies, commonly known as CAAs. NISCA's mission is to strengthen the capacity of the Community Action Network to address the causes and conditions of poverty. NISCA was created in 1987 to provide CAAs in New York with professional development opportunities, training, and technical assistance. NISCA is the hub that brings together community action agencies in New York to network, share successes and challenges, and strategize to meet the needs of vulnerable New Yorkers. A community action agency, or CAA, is a local organization with the mission of reducing poverty through locally designed and delivered programs and services targeted to the specific needs of their community. The 47 CAAs in New York form a statewide service delivery system that connects individuals and families to the services they need to achieve economic status. When it comes to moving folks from poverty to self-sufficiency, community action agencies know what works. Let's now introduce our guests. Maureen, can we start with you? Sure. Uh, I'm Maureen Abbott. I'm the executive director at Tioga Opportunities, and uh, I've been the executive director for about almost eight years, um, and I've been in community, ac community action for 33. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Maureen. Charlie, can you introduce yourself? I'm Charlie Quinn. I'm the CEO of RECAP, Regional Economic oh. Community Action Program in Orange County. I've been CEO for seven years and with Community Action for about 13 years. Thanks for being here. Michelle, will you introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Michelle McKeown. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of the Regional Economic Community Action Program, otherwise known as RECAP, and I have been here seven years. And we appreciate your time with us today. Danielle, will you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Danielle Harrington, Executive Director at Tompkins Community Action. Um, I've been Executive Director for a little over a year, and I have 20 years as the Housing Director at Tompkins Community Action. Excellent. So we have a lot of great experience with us here today. And I want to start off by just kind of asking people, what does the affordable housing look like in your communities? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Who wants to go first? <laughs> Well, I, I think we need to start with what do you mean by affordable and affordable to whom? Um, there, there's different types of housing in the communities. Um, some are called low-income tax credit projects that are, are funded with IRS monies, but you need to have a minimum income to get into those projects. So a lot of people are not qualified. Um, their income is too low to get into those types of affordable housings. Um, in Orange County, um, in addition to the low-income tax credit projects, we have a lot of HUD-funded projects um, for people who are literally homeless by HUD's definition and have um, a disability. Um, in our agency, it's often um, alcoholism or substance use disorder, um, uh, housing for veterans and also folks with um, AIDS and HIV related illnesses? Well, uh, living in Tioga County, um, I, I kind of have to chuckle a little bit because um, our housing situation is so, so desperate in regards to that affordability. Um, 
And, um, you know, we are being rural. There aren't a lot of vibrant community centers in our county. Um, lots of um, deteriorating housing, older housing stock, and just the availability of any quality affordable housing is few and far between. Um, especially the more rural you go, the, the harder it is to find uh, quality affordable housing. Um, so it's a huge, uh, it's a huge issue and it's one that doesn't have easy answers. And, um, you know, I think we, a little bit later, we'll talk about strategies and stuff, but, um, uh, we just don't have a lot of new development. We don't have a lot of potential developers coming in for a whole host of reasons, which I'll talk about later, but, um, it's, it's just, it's just a major, major issue for many people, not just low income, but more so that worker, uh, worker, you know, Alice family that is working and trying to uh, put money aside for, um, you know, potentially buying a home. It's just, uh, it's just, it, it's not a good situation. Maureen, I just want to ask real quick, because um, I think a lot of people listening may not know, can you give us a brief explanation of what Alice is? Uh, Sure. I apologize. I should have That's uh, okay. clarified. So um, Alice refers to asset limited, income constrained, employed. Um, these are individuals who are households that are working, um, but are still unable to meet basic needs for their families. Um, so they, they don't have a living wage necessarily. They might even be working two or three jobs and still unable to meet those basic needs. They're not at poverty level, um, but still not, not meeting those basic needs of shelter, uh, food, health care, all of those things. Thanks for that explanation. Mm -hmm. So let me ask then, how did you become aware of the need for housing supports in your or housing solutions within your communities? Um, I can speak a little bit about Tompkins County. Um, uh, just quickly touching back on what does it look like in Tompkins County? Um, we need housing units um, thousands in each income bracket in our community. We have the city hub of Ithaca, and then the rest is rural sprawling. We're looking at old housing stock, mobile home parks, no transportation out into those rural areas, one bus a day, Monday through Friday. Um, and that's really where our low income folks um, are even more marginalized. Um, our rent prices rival those of Manhattan without all of the services. We have um, extremely high rents driven up um, by um, Ithaca College and Cornell University, which also sucks up a lot of um, city housing units, um, further pushing our folks out. We um, have a wicked low vacancy rate where um, the units are already full before the person moves out. So generally less than 4% um, all the time. The pandemic made that even worse. Um, and a lot of our landlords sold off properties and got out of the rental game um, during the eviction moratorium. Uh, how did I become aware that the housing need was so great? When I started as a Section 8 caseworker in early 2000, um, we were running into um, families who were eligible after they waited three years for a voucher and then 
couldn't find a place to to use the voucher at and had to go back on the waiting list because there was no housing available. Um, and um, I was able to work under a really great executive director who did all kinds of um, creative and innovative programs that I'll talk about later. I think understanding the awareness is how connected are you to your community, right? So it's the phone calls that you get. It's the the, the, you're sitting around not a housing meeting and someone says, hey, does anybody have any housing? Um, it, and part of it is a, a macro view of the housing that's being built, to Charlie's point earlier, is connected to something else. So if you are struggling with substance use disorder, if you are living with HIV and AIDS, AIDS, there are housing youths available. Um, if there, if you are a veteran, if you are a senior, but when you're talking about an Alice family or even an individual with low income hitting that, you know, magic $412 a month from Department of Social Services, there is nothing for those families. And if there is, it's not somewhere you would ever want to live. Because when we talk about what the housing stock looks like, not only is it not readily available because everything has people in it already, but it is not good quality, healthy housing stock. Mm -hmm. So engaging municipalities around the need for housing and then the need for code enforcers to make sure that those housing units are safe to live in um, is an ongoing battle, um, I think, for, for many of the places that we're talking about. And, uh, you know, I'll certainly jump in and just talk a little bit about some of the unique um, issues here in Tioga County. So in 2018, um, uh, we uh, co-collaborated on a pretty comprehensive housing study. You know, we all would sit around tables and talk about housing issues, but we really wanted to do a deep dive into what was really going on and where was the greatest need. Um, <clears throat> so together with uh, the county economic development and the county IDA, we um, uh, funded this study. And it was interesting because uh, of where we're located along the Susquehanna River, um, environmental factors and natural disasters have really impacted our housing. Um, the floods of 2006 and 2011 uh, in particular um, just decimated the village of Owego, um, Waverly, Nichols, um, and uh, it created uh, a, a huge issue in that um, it, you know, it disseminated any, any availability of safe, affordable housing for that population that Michelle was just talking about. Um, so the affected properties were bought up by out-of-town landlords, and um, they came in and bought these for next to nothing and put very little money into the repairs and then rented them. And um, unfortunately, these were the only properties that a lot of these families um, could afford. And, and particularly in the village of Owego, um, because we also have no transportation in throughout the county or limited transportation, um, you know, uh, families would gravitate more towards those, uh, the, the villages where there was a few more services. So um, the amount 
amount of blighted housing was incredibly, um, I just couldn't believe it when, when I moved here and began to look at this vibrant community center, this downtown area and two blocks either way, you know, you were looking at extremely blighted um, housing. So that was a, a key uh, contributor and a key factor in, in our involvement. And the other was really the, um, economic development um, aspect of this and really what got us involved in regards to, you know, uh, quality affordable housing being very closely linked to the recruitment and retention of a, of a workforce. Um, we have the 86 corridor run right through our county. Um, economic development, uh, the county economic development has been very um, successful in recruiting businesses. We have Crown Cork and Seal, of course, Tioga Downs and uh, Best Buy Warehouse and CVS Warehouse. And yet we have very little uh, acceptable worker housing in our, in our county, which means a lot of people are having to, uh, they live outside the area and, and, are, and are driving in. So um, from that perspective, we realized that this had to be one of the strategies that we were going to focus on, um, decent, affordable worker housing, so that we could begin to attract young families into our community. Um, and um, it, the, kind of the last piece of this, and then I'll be quiet, was the our increased aging population. Um, so as we all know, older adults are living a lot longer. Um, they're remaining in their homes a lot longer. Um, and, you know, the 65 plus population in our county is projected to grow like 22% and the 85 plus population at 31% growth. Um, and at the same time, we're losing workers, uh, you know, in that age group of like 25 to 60 um, with it, you know, the, the out migration of, of that working age population. So, you know, it, it's, it's a multidimensional challenge, but all of that kind of contributing to this depletion. Uh, and then you add in the, you know, the code enforcement issues and the municipalities, you know, and then and then the overarching issue is the local resistance to any type of new development for low income housing, which is a whole nother podcast. But, um, you know, it needs to be, you know, um, a part of this conversation as well. So that's how I became aware of all the issues um, in our county. Maureen, I don't think you should ever be quiet. Um, <laughs> But it's it's not just resistance to new projects. Mm -hmm. There there is resistance to existing housing for for people with low incomes. Mm -hmm. um, two of our municipalities in Orange County um, took um, affirmative steps to make it more difficult. Um, in the city of Newburgh, um, code enforcement officials actually issue violations to tenants now rather than landlords. Mm -hmm. And in the city of Middletown. They now require background checks for renters. The landlord has to get a background check, um, both economic and criminal, before they can rent to a person. Yeah. And then we're dealing with zoning, zoning issues too. And a little bit later, I can talk about a, you know, a project that we were highly excited about with uh, public-private partnership with Ithaca Neighborhood Housing mm -hmm. here in Tioga County. And it, you know, it was just, it, it just was a, um, a uh, the local municipality zoning board and um, village board just stood fast and just fought us every step of the way. So, uh, but. We'll get into that later, I'm sure. <laughs> well, and this is Michelle from Recap, but I think what that also talks to are the good poor and the bad poor. 
and who who are we choosing to help, right? Mm -hmm. So if we need housing for seniors, great, as long as they're not too poor, right? If we need housing for veterans, everybody applauds housing mm -hmm. for veterans, right? Mm -hmm. But when we talk about other populations, the, the parole reentry population, the substance use disorder population, right? Um, that's when we have that conversation about, oh, we'll have these folks in our community, but not those folks. Uh, Recap runs a parole reentry program, and uh, Charlie and I went to talk to the municipality about building on land we already own um, and to put together a, a project for you know, women-headed households in the city of Newburgh, which uh, has a poverty rate of about 57%. And the question that we were asked by the mayor was, what are you doing about all the parolees who are dumped here? Uh, serving them? I, I don't know. We're not dumping them here. We're serving them when they get here. Um, so, you know, unless we continue to battle the myths and misperceptions about housing and who deserves housing, um, we have a lot. We have a lot of work to do yes. around the the need for for housing for all, not just the people who we think deserve housing, but for everybody. Yeah, this is Maureen again, and um, yeah, absolutely, I I you you hit the nail right on the head. And you know, the only new development that has gone uh, that has been uh, happening here has been senior housing, um, which is a need for sure. But um, we don't get the same pushback as we do for other types, whether it's low income, uh, reentry, any of those things are just they're just off the table. I mean, it's it's a, it's a done deal before we even get we get going. So yes, a lot of work to do in that area. Can you talk to me uh, or talk to us a little bit about the work that you are doing to address those needs? And maybe Danielle, you can uh, give us some ideas. Oh, sure. Um, so at Tompkins Community Action, we have rental assistance programs, um, the Section 8 Housing Trust Voucher Program, um, and some other smaller programs. Uh, we work with Ithaca Neighborhood Housing. Maureen mentioned them. They do the low-income tax credit projects in our area and are a nice um, location for our voucher holders um, to, to get housing in town, close to town. Um, Alongside that voucher program, we have something called tenant-based rental assistance that we get funding from New York State Homes and Community Renewal, their home funding. Um, we target um, people experiencing homelessness and the unhoused for that funding. Um, we work with our local uh, continuum of care um, and prioritize the most vulnerable to be served with that rental assistance plus um, a staff person, we don't like to use the word case worker, case manager. Um, so we have a specialist that works with um, them to find housing that works, um, that's safe and not um, deteriorated, passes an inspection, um, and do some life building skill set, you know, the trash goes out, the lease compliance, the building that stability piece and relationship with the landlord. So when they come to the top of that Section 8 Housing Trust Voucher Program waiting list, they don't have to move again and they can continue that stability right there. Um, we've been really successful um, with that program. We just were awarded another two and a half year contract for that. Um, so that's a little piece in the continuum. And then um, our bigger impact, I think, is with... Um, 
um, our HUD-funded and state-funded uh, homeless housing programs. We have um, 55 units that we own ourselves and then an additional 40 units that we um, do supportive services with um, youth uh, with our Empire State Supportive Housing Initiative funds. Um, and then we have another 40 units of supportive services funds planned for a chronically homeless um, in the very central hub of um, the city of Ithaca on Green Street, right next to City Hall, right across from Tompkins County Mental Health Building. Um, that's coming online in early 2024. Um, and then we just try to find little pockets of funding where we can meet needs and help navigate systems for people. Um, and we try to keep everything really person-centered um, so that it works. It's not um, a one-size-fits-all in any of our programs. Uh, we do the trauma-informed care, Housing First model. Um, housing First is not popular in any community um, <laughs> from what we can tell by our own experience, um, but it really works. Um, but we've had to kind of navigate new systems and create new partnerships in the community to kind of meet the needs that our homeless population has exponentially grown in the last couple of years. So that's kind of where our niche is in the permanent supportive housing. Um, and we just keep building on that um, with our partners. Danielle, this is Michelle from Recap. I have a, I have a question or more of a comment. I'm actually not sure where it is in my head. But um, when we look at, because we are also part of our continuum of care down here, when we look at housing the most vulnerable, I think that's obviously, right? But what happens then to the folks who are just holding on? right? And they need some housing support. And I guess this is more of, of, of a macro conversation that um, if we're not, we're so good at intervention on all things, we're not as great as pre at prevention, mm -hmm. right? So if we have the, the family, the Alice family that Maureen was talking about, and they're, they're holding on and they're barely making ends meet, but they don't necessarily qualify for any of our housing. It's almost as if we've set it up where they have to then lose everything in order to be eligible for anything um, or anything meaningful. So, you know, I know this is not the answer that to Heidi's question, but how do we design a system where we're catching people before they're living in their car? Mm -hmm. Right. Or heading to a homeless shelter because they, we do. There are those moments where we get the call that say, my landlord just called. They sold the building. I have 30 days to get out. I work two full time jobs. I make forty eight thousand dollars a year. I have two kids. Where can I get housing help? And the answer almost 100 percent of the time is nowhere. Where do we start that conversation running concurrently with creating housing for those who are most vulnerable? Because if not, we're just growing our most vulnerable populations. Right, right. And I can speak a little bit to that. Um, we've acknowledged that as a big issue in our community, just like everybody else. And our continuum of care has started identifying pathways of um, prevention and um, diversion from the shelter system. Um, however, there's not, um, we don't have a steady stream of funding for that in Tompkins County. We have little pieces that we're trying to do the best um, 
And we're really trying to build in those navigation support people so that when you get into your housing issue, you get that notice and you, and you don't have Section 8, because basically no one can afford to live in, in rental housing in Tompkins County without some sort of assistance. Um, and so we're trying to navigate that. We're doing a bunch of studies. There's all this data, but um, there's not really any dollars yet to back up how to handle that. But I completely agree that we're just adding to the pipeline as we're triaging for the most vulnerable. Um, and we have had a lot of development um, in Tompkins County of new housing units. And we are still waiting for that. Like we keep saying, oh, this will be the project that opens up for our low income families. And, and it doesn't seem to be happening yet. And what I think is happening is the folks that have moved away from the area that are still working in Tompkins County are moving back in to fill those units before um, the list moves for anybody else. So I think that probably is happening in Tioga County too. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, you know, we we operate the Section Eight uh, Housing Choice Voucher Program as well, and um, you know, I I think Michelle brings up a, an interesting point. And you know, I when you look at programs like Section Eight, it's a it, it can be a lifelong. <laughs> you know, voucher. So we've infused our financial social work with um, all of our Section 8 families. Um, and um, we try to um, kind of interject, in, you know, in with the, you know, the, just the acceptance of the voucher that, you know, what are your long-term goals and what, you know, what, what is it that you want to achieve? And, you know, really trying to help them develop a plan that goes beyond just a subsidized housing, you know, thinking about that continuum and moving them forward. And uh, we've had some good success with that, um, uh, which has taken some time to kind of get it going, but, but it is, but it is working. Um, you know, we also operate uh, 137 units of senior housing through rural development. Um, and that brings certain challenges along with it as well. But um, probably senior housing, as I said, is the only real new development that we've seen. But um, what we're kind of focusing on right now is um, the idea of ac acquiring and then rehabbing a single family and maybe uh, two to four family homes uh, for either rentals or for sale to to um, first time home buyers. So you know the the issue with with seniors living longer in our county uh, means that um, you know their their houses when 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 they either move into um, long term care or that house is sold it's in it's oftentimes in great disrepair it's it's older it has a lot of older um, uh, parts and in need of much rehab. So um, we decided that we are going to kind of focus in that area. You know, the development piece is a little beyond our means at this particular point in time, especially with what we're we've been dealing with in, in terms of the local resistance, but um, we uh, have a subsidiary that we formed called the Southern Tier Enterprise Group, which is going to house all of our social enterprises, and um, it'll allow us to do some creative 
um, types of things in housing. Um, so we're looking and we're working with the land bank currently and we're looking at acquiring some uh, properties through tax foreclosure um, and rehabbing them. And then uh, we have some of our Section 8 people in the pipeline for first time home buyers. Um, so hopefully they would be able to get into um, some of these properties um, and get you know, have them acquire that asset and and become a home a homeowner. So, you know, we kind of just um, decided that was a better route for us to go, um, and then use the money from a sale to reinvest again into another property and just keep you know, kind of chugging along one one neighborhood at a time. Uh, so, thank you so much. Th those sound like fantastic programs. I just want to back up for one second about. Um, a philosophy that a few of you mentioned, and I think that it's worth really talking about because I think if you don't work with un unhoused people, you may not be aware of this um, this concept, and that's the concept of housing first. So, will one of you sort of talk about a little that a little bit about that and how you have seen that shift, um, if it has shifted your work and the people? Uh, the benefits it has on the people that you are providing services for. This is Danielle in Tompkins County. I can talk a little bit about housing first. Uh, it's a concept where um, it's the belief that um, everybody deserves housing. It's a right. It's not something you earn. It's not something you're ready for. It's the housing comes first and then the services follow. Um, so there is um no screening out if you have substance use issues, mental health issues, um, criminal history. It is about meeting people where they're at, getting them into the safe housing and building from there based on what the person needs, not what the program goal is. Um, so we have shifted um, from that. The most basic example I have is with our um, supportive housing for people in recovery. Uh, before Housing First, we had a 30-day sober requirement, um, and that has gone away. Um, we working with our uh, coordinated entry system with the continuum of care. So we are serving um, people who are um, coming in from outside in the encampments. Um, and, you know, some of it is um, building the community for that person moving in so that they feel comfortable staying inside the building. And, and sometimes it's as simple as, you know, visiting the apartment and it's a process. It's not just um, where we used to have, you know, somebody get dropped off from rehab with their three suitcases and they're ready to sign a lease. Um, there's also, um, because of that kind of shift in population, what we've experienced this winter particularly is um, everybody's friends came to stay because it's super cold out, there's not enough room in the shelter, or they're not allowed at the shelter, they couldn't, you know, jump through the hoops. So we ended up with, you know, additional folks in our community who were also trying to serve, making sure they're in the coordinated entry system and making sure they're safe. Um, and I think every community probably experiences a lack of um, services that are needed, mental health supports. I know we don't have enough clini clinicians or um, visits available in Tompkins County. I think that's probably everywhere. Um, and what happened in the pandemic, the Zoom treatment, the Zoom one-on-one -on -one meetings worked until they didn't. 
and then offices didn't open up fast enough. And so we have this, um, you know, body of people who um, lost access to their services and reconnecting has been challenging. Um, and I think that, you know, when you're starting with people who have been labeled as the most vulnerable based on the traumas they've had in their life, you know, you have obstacles that you didn't even think about four years ago with program implementation. So Housing First works. It's keeping people safe and alive and moving forward, but it's it's got a lot of challenges. And, and Housing First describes the way we operate as agencies, the way we operate our programs, but it's something that needs to go out to the larger community. We have an incredible person in Orange County. Um, she led the um, federally qualified healthcare program for decades. And Linda would walk around anywhere she went, like she had Tourette's. Healthcare is a right, not a privilege. Um, and we need to get people saying the same thing about housing. Um, going back to what Michelle said before, there's certain people we like to house and other people that we don't. It's got to be universal. It's got to be for everyone. It's got to be a right. And as we continue to, you know, look into the future about services and our communities, um, if we are not addressing housing, we're not addressing social determinants of health, we are not increasing health outcomes for individuals and families. And um, that is part of the, the mandate that the state is looking at now, right? So how are we uh, creating pathways to health, not just medical health, but emotional health, spiritual health, um, and housing is one of those first steps, stable, affordable, quality housing is one of those things. If you are unhoused, um, your uh, ability to have safe, nutritious food is lowered. Um, access to health care is lowered. Uh, we have a, a woman who lives in the parking lot of our rec center in the city of Newburgh. She is a super adult, right? Somebody over 65. Um, she's probably over 75. She's terrified to be a woman in a homeless shelter. So she lives in her car. And for the most part, her community takes care of her, right? We make sure she has food. And uh, Danielle, I think you know, you're the one who said, you don't just take somebody and you drop them off, right? It's a process, it's engagement, it's creating relationships. Uh, we've asked her if she wanted an apartment, um, connecting her to the Office of the Aging. We bring her food that she can manage in her car, um, but she has no interest in, in entering into a system that is unsafe for her. So her, her health outcomes over time are going to be less because we've, we've created systems that don't allow um, for the addressing of stability first without doing all of the other things. I think housing first needs to be the model that leads the way, but housing in general should be the thing that we're, we're focused on because if you are one of the 250 families in Orange County living in hotels this week, you, school is probably not going to be consistent. Food is not going to be consistent. Transportation is probably not there. So how are we actually completing our missions if so many of the systems that the, the people that we serve are attached to um, don't set them up for success. If you have a wheel and 
all of the spokes are working together, you have a pretty functioning wheel. But if if only the center and the center being community action is working and all of the other spokes are throwing barriers and challenges and and you know different requirements that we can't do our job in order to create the best outcomes for for the people that we serve. We can't do it all by ourselves, even though we would like to think we can. I really appreciate those uh, those explanations about the housing first uh, philosophy and and approach. How did you decide to design and structure the programs that you have? Uh, this is Maureen from Tioga again. I think for us, it was once we really kind of got a handle or I got a handle on on what was happening around us. You know, there's so many issues and so many things we can't, like, like Michelle said, we can't we can't do it all. So I think we had to find uh, in partnership with with others what our niche would be and be, and build off of our strengths and our own agency capacity to be effective and to be able to make an impact um, in, in our communities. Um, so, you know, we dabbled in the, in the, in partnership, you know, trying to get new development. And as I stated earlier, that didn't happen. So, you know, we kind of landed on this, you know, this overall neighborhood revitalization strategy and, you know, focusing on that, the acquisition and the rehab and the resell, um, as opposed to really kind of focusing on the new development, we'll certainly partner with um, any private, um, you know, developer that comes in or Ithaca neighborhood housing or whatever. Um, but, but we just, we just can't, we can't do that right now on, by, by ourselves. So, um, you know, and, and what really, the other thing that really kind of pushed us in that direction was the realization that middle income buying power for families in this area is between 90,000 and 125, 130,000. And there just aren't a lot of properties for sale that are that don't need another thirty to fifty thousand dollars worth of work, you know, done. So the ability for us to purchase low rehab and then sell within that ninety to one hundred and twenty five, one hundred and thirty dollar range um, is going to meet a need that just doesn't doesn't exist. With and you know, to be able to buy a property with little or no uh, repair and updating needed will certainly um you know meet a huge need so i think that's kind of how we we landed um on this particular strategy now with that said um we are you know looking at potentially some more senior housing um not big big developments but more like you know townhouse type type situations um in some of the more rural areas um uh, of the county but um yeah, I think that, you know, we just decided we were going to build off our strengths and, you know, because we have, you know, we have a lot of, you know, rehab type grants and a lot of expertise in that area and good relationships with local contractors and stuff. We just felt that was a better avenue for us. And um, so that's where that's why we're going in that direction. And Maureen and Danielle, you both mentioned um having partnerships and collaborations that have helped to build these programs. And I know that community action agencies do a great job of doing that in their communities, building networks and partnerships to meet the needs. But can you talk a little bit about what some of those partnerships and collaborations are that you've built and that have been successful? Danielle, you want to go? <laughs> sure. <laughs> 
we we've become the permanent housing supportive services go to for our community. So we've had to say yes and no to um, some different projects based on our own capacity. Um, but what we have done um, and what we're doing while we are partners partnering with uh, Vecino, which is a development company, um, and Cornerstone Property Management, which is the property management company for our newest uh, project at Art House. Um, we've had to connect with um, some different community partners. We have Reach Medical, which is a harm reduction model of health services, both physical and mental health. We've contracted with them to come on site for us weekly, um, kind of like an open door mental health um, piece um, where our residents who are between 18 and 25 can just walk in and have a donut with Al and talk about life and then um, go along their day without having to jump through all of the hoops and all kinds of things. Um, and that is something that we plan to continue at our other housing sites. Um, we've also um, brought our food pantry into a delivery system. So our food pantry goes to that housing project. Um, yeah, we've had to have some creative solutions. Our, our you know, a lot of people um, who I had worked with over the years had left for different positions. It's new staff coming in, new ideas. Uh, let's try this. Um, and thankfully, Ithaca is a community where we do a lot of let's try this and see what happens and and take the pieces that are good and, and keep moving them forward. We have a really strong continuum of care um, and we, pay, we play a big enough role in all of the committees. We kind of have our fingers in everything and pull our our partners that way. And then the the linking our housing programs to our Head Start programs um, and, and encompassing the families in that way too, um, kind of being our own partner. It's we're the same agency, different departments. Sometimes that that can kind of feel like different organizations from time to time. Um, but I think that that piece um, where the the kids living at a Michi house walk across the parking lot to go to their Head Start Child Care Center while um, their parents go to GED class or to work or uh, go volunteer at our food pantry, you know, creates a nice little community and nobody has to get in a car and do anything. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of benefits to our campus. So mm -hmm. I think that's that's what I would say about that. Yeah, I wish we had some of that, you know, going on in our community, some of that um, more uh, open mindedness in terms of some of these projects. But, um, uh, you know, again, I mentioned earlier the um, partnering with um, our land bank, Tioga County Land Bank, Tioga County Economic Development, um, uh, and then private uh, developers, Arbor Housing, 2 Plus 4, Ithaca Neighborhood Housing, um, doing a lot of uh, strategies around neighborhood revitalization with, with them. And then, you know, really building relationships with municipalities, you know. Um, and when I say building relationships, I mean putting the time in to really get to know the elected officials and 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 having them get to know 
us and what we represent and um, trying to bridge that cultural gap between the old entitlement while everybody wants a handout versus we want them to buy a home and become taxpayers and participate in in you know the, the you know the village um you know village politics or school or whatever and that and you know that's taken time but um we've been you know, we've been successful with that. We're actually looking at a few properties now in Waverly that has huge issues. Some trending stuff with their youth that are that are troublesome. troublesome. And I, uh, I think that uh, getting in there and doing some more work there will be a great help. But yeah, that, that's kind of, as I said, building off of our strengths who we've been partnering. We do, we do work with the continuum um, uh, as well. Uh, it's based out of Broome. And I sometimes I feel like Tioga County is, you know, forgotten about. Um, and uh, a lot of resources go to Broome County uh, and some of the surrounding counties, but um, we we are there and we try to be as vocal as we can be um, around what our needs are. So um, those are our, our majority of our partners. Thank you. Charlie and Michelle, do you have anything that you want to add to that piece about collaborations and partnerships? Um, Orange County and it's not just the community action agency orange county is incredible with the partnerships that are down here there's an organization jmhca um it's like-minded agencies we meet mo monthly discuss what the needs of the county are what individual agencies are doing to address them um so it's it's a pretty tight not-for-profit community and and the county participates and the municipalities participate um it's not perfect it's not eden um but we we've taken the approach at a county level that it, it is all about partnerships our our coc continuum of care um there's six housing providers in it but a lot of non not-for-profit agencies um municipalities private groups are part of it um contributing making sure that the people we house get the services they they need and that the needs that the other agencies are seeing making sure that they are being addressed so that leads me to wonder uh, what impact have you seen on your communities as you've been addressing the uh, the the housing challenges that you have there this is Michelle from Recap. I think in some ways the impact is incremental and in other ways it, you know, leaps and bounds. I think until we move our, there's a lot of othering, right, in, in this work and it's them and those and us, right? That That's how we hear about the work that we do. Well, we want to help those people or we want to do things for those people. Um, so when something happens, it, it, it feels wonderful. But when you look at it, it's really not as impactful as, as you would like. Um, you know, we are built for public-private partnerships. And, you know, we, we, we oftentimes find ourselves running into the walls trying, trying to get them with public partners who maybe have a different philosophy than we do about the, the helping of others. And um, I, I think that impact 
on one person is impact on a community. And that's a good thing, right? One less person unhoused, one healthier family, one more person in recovery. All of those things are impactful for those people, right? Th those individuals or families. I, I think the impact, we will see true impact when our municipalities come to us and say, we need this and we need you to do it, right? I don't think that happens as often as we would like or we would need it to. Um, you know, we fed, Charlie's talking about JMHCA, you know, we have a letter from JMHCA to our county executive to say, hey, we have a lot of ARPA money and there are communities around us using that ARPA money for housing. Could you do something like that here too? Right. So um, the impact would be, oh, yeah, sure. Let's let's take instead of a $20 million infrastructure project, let's do a $15 million infrastructure, but five, put five million to housing. Those are the partnerships that have impact. Those are those are the, the things that change systems, change thoughts, change minds about them and us. And when we start when we stop othering folks and realize many of us or many of our staff or many of our families are one or two paychecks away from being the them. It, it, how, how do we change the mindset of people who um, have the power to create the larger impact? We have the power to make a, an impact on the work that we do. We need pe bold people to take bold ideas and implement them so our impact is felt across systems and across generations so that people with low income can improve their self-sufficiency and increase that um, so we can meet our missions um, and create healthier communities. Well, this is Maureen again. I'll, I'll just share a quick story. So um, about Four years ago, three years ago, I can't remember, um, the village of Owego was an, awarded a $10 million DRI um, grant. And um, so through our partnership with economic development, uh, we, we, meaning Tioga Opportunities, was uh, encouraged to put in a, uh, uh, an application for this um, mixed income uh, housing project literally two blocks off the main drag, um, which would lend itself to, for, for a lot of things, lend itself to um, not only just meeting the needs of, of um, housing needs, but also addressing some other needs. So anyway, we said, sure, we would love to. So we spent a lot of time <laughs> uh, putting this together. I sat in on the, uh, the revitalization process committee, whatever, um, only then to be one of the only programs that was not funded. Um, in the DRI. It was the most popular um, proposal uh, when we had to hold um, uh, community forums. People spoke highly uh, in the community, um, but um, the process uh, was interesting in that uh, proposals for a um, art park and lighting on one side of the village. And, you know, there were a lot of things that were funded that 
um, how do I say this? Um, we're, we're like pet projects, I think, of some of the elected officials, you know. So I knew early on in the process that it wasn't probably going to happen, but it was so indicative, I think, of what, you know, small rural counties are up against. And um, it really kind of took the wind out of our sails. Um, and I think that was also part and parcel to us shifting gears and moving more towards um, the acquisition and the rehab and, um, you know, the resale of houses and renting of houses. So it was very frustrating. Um, so that was not a good impact, but it was an impact in regards to us really understanding um, what we were up against. And Maureen and Michelle, you both um, make comments that sort of make me want to ask this question or make me wonder, you know, um, Michelle, you talked about needing bold ideas and Maureen, you had a great project that that just wasn't funded, unfortunately. So I'm curious if I could make, wave my magic wand and funding was no longer an issue. And I know you guys have answers to this on the tip of your tongue, right? You probably think about this all the time. If funding wasn't the issue, what what program would you want to create to help those who are unhoused in your community? And what services? Supportive housing is huge. You know, we've talked about that all, you know, throughout this, the need for, um, you know, individuals coming out of, of substance abuse rehab programs needing assistance with, with that transition. You know, the reentry, um, I mean, homeless shelters. We There's one homeless shelter uh, that's run by the YWCA in Binghamton between Broome County and Tioga County, one woman shelter, which is always full. Um, and it's hard when we have people that we, you know, that we become aware of because we know probably um, they're not going to, they're not going to get a space there. So yeah, I, you know, there's all of those things on top of a, you know, a, a whole bunch of others, but those are huge needs here. And, and I know the topic of the day is housing. Um, and and I, I don't mean to undermine the importance of housing for where we are right now, but if money is no object and we're granting wishes, um, let's pay people what they need um, to to live to live in comfortable housing, uh, decent housing, and and put my agency out of business. I'd be mm -hmm. glad to, for that to happen. <laughs> we we're as a society too content with a system that keeps generating people who live in poverty. And I think transportation for rural counties is a huge issue that relates to everything, you know, health access, housing, work, jobs, you know, all of those things. And, um, you know, we, I, I don't know. I mean, if, again, if money was no object, I think to be able to address that would be a key item as well. Childcare. Childcare. You know, how many articles have I read in the last, you know, three months about, you know, women being per per hit particularly hard returning to the workforce mm -hmm. because they can't find safe, affordable, quality daycare um, and not just that follows the school schedule, right? You know, uh, what about weekends? What about evenings? What about overnights? So, you know, um, and I think what we've kind of all laid out was um, addressing social determinants of health. And, and and finding the, the the appropriate housing and then letting all of the the rest of it kind of filter in at the use of our services um, but um, New York State has the 
the the ability now and hopefully the the sweat equity to um, change how the addressing of social determinants are funded and um, we don't get paid for our work we we get contracts right but we when we provide a service it it, it needs to be paid for appropriately to charlie's point in order to pay our staffs appropriately um, but to address all of the needs of the folks so as new york state looks towards different ways to fund the work that not-for-profits do, they need to take into consideration um, the human infrastructure that we build and create foundations and stability for um, in order for us to have people who are housed and fed and healthy and have uh, access to the appropriate um, transportation, childcare, mental health, substance use disorder, and emotional support that they need to be successful. If we can do that, um, then um, I am happy to be unemployed. Thank you all for those answers. Um, I think before we wrap up, I just, uh, I think a good way to end would be to ask you if any of you have a success story um, for a person, a place, a program, um, that you would like to share with us? I think our definition of success in other people's different uh, definition of success can be different, right? So I think back to a, a veteran that our staff works really, 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 really hard for. Um, and we were, we kept being told by a whole bunch of groups, he needs housing. You got to get him into housing. And we would put him in housing and then he would leave. And we would put him in housing and he would leave. All he wanted to do, and he kept telling us, I want to live outside by the river. It's where I feel safest, right? So we finally stopped trying to put him somewhere he did not want to be. Now, in the minds of others, people listening to this are, are, are you know, the people in power. Was that success? Probably not because he wasn't housed. But was it success to our client who asked us for something and we were able to deliver that for him and be able to serve him in a place where he wanted to be with surrounded by things that he wanted to be surrounded by. And of course, making sure that he was warm in the winter and cool in the summer and that he had transportation to his doctor when he needed it and food and all of those things. Yes, to him, that was a success. So if we're measuring success, I think it needs to be measured by the people receiving the service, not necessarily the people analyzing the data. Well said. And I can think of another person that we served who had been unhoused for a very long time. And it was as our agency was transitioning um, to a housing first model, there was a person who had been living in the woods for a long period of time, could not keep the sobriety necessary to continue living in the housing. So he would fall off the wagon, be evicted, go into rehab, come back, be housed again. And it was a cycle that went on and on. Um, and as our agency switched to the housing first model, um, a, a caseworker came to his apartment and he was there with his bags packed. He was ready to go. He thought this, this was going to be it again, but he got to stay um, because we had changed the way we worked. And it was 
one one of the best success stories i i think it's a great example of the benefits of housing first absolutely mm -hmm. so maureen Charlie, Michelle, and Danielle, we want to thank you so much for joining us today on our second episode of Lights, Camera, Community Actions podcast. Um, thank you for your time and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you, Have Heidi. Great day. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.